Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our Sunday, May 17th service. And I just want to give a real quick introduction uh, for our guest speaker this morning. As you know, Pastor Decker is on sabbatical. And this morning, we're privileged to have with us Frank Shelton. And he's going to be challenging us this morning out of the book of Matthew to stand on the rock. So so uh, let's, let's give our attention to the word as we welcome uh, Frank Shelton. Hello, New Covenant. This is Frank Shelton. It's a high honor to be in the pulpit today. I want to give a shout out, first of all, to Pastor Robert on sabbatical. And it is a high honor to not only be your friend, but your fellow colleague. I want to thank the entire team behind the scenes. The music has been incredible. Thank you. Thank you for our friends in the back running the soundboard. Thank you to Morris Webster. But most importantly, thank you for Jesus. And uh, more than ever, we are in some unique times in my heart. I just want to say hello to every single one of you watching by way of online, but I really believe, thanks to the Holy Spirit, we have an on-time word for you this Sunday. Feel free to grab a pen and paper, and this message is for you. Out the gate, I'm not going to talk about any jokes. I'm going to go straight to Jesus. Um, Number one, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is we are in uncharted times. We are in tough times. We're in dark times. We're in unique times. Uh, But more than ever, through thick and thin, through the good and the bad, God is on the scene. And I have good news because today I'm not preaching the Koran. I'm not quoting the paper from Delaware. I'm not even reading Reader's Digest. We're still in the book, the big book, the holy book, the holy Bible. And the good news is I'm going to give you some good news. I'm preaching the gospel. And I want to give you three keys, preaching mostly to the church today today. Three keys to successfully serve the Savior and survive the storm. Christ is bigger than Corona. And it may seem like you're down. You may be discouraged. You may be defeated. You may be depressed. You may even had a friend who died recently. But the word of the day is if you're not dead, God's not done with you. And uh, I believe these are challenging times, but I believe these are the best of times. And we have an on-time word for you today. Heavenly Father, we need you. Breathe. On this service, breathe on this sermon, and thank you for this Sunday that you've given us breath. Father, I pray that you would touch hearts, give us a snap to our step, give us joy in our journey, and Father, I pray that we would get on fire for Jesus the Christ. In your holy name, we all said amen. I'm going to share with you a message today, the challenge to continue to carry Christ. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, the Bible said it's in red, and when it's in red, it's not Billy Graham, it's not Charles Spurgeon, it's not Charles Stanley, it's not David Jeremiah, it's not Ravi Zacharias, who needs our prayers today. It's the master, the Messiah himself, Jesus speaking, and when he speaks, we do well to listen. Matthew 7, verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Let me park the car here. It's been said that a diamond is a woman's best friend. If that's the case, with all due respect, ma'am, you're in love with the wrong rock. Because Jesus is the rock of all ages. Matthew chapter 7, verse 25. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and it beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. I'm not talking Dwayne Johnson, I'm talking Jesus the Christ. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and it beat upon that house, and 
how great was the fall of it. I was told at age seven, 41 years ago, from a pastor who was sincere but sincerely wrong. He said, Frank, the day you give your life to Jesus, you'll no longer experience pain and you'll no longer experience problems. And my friends, when you give your life to Christ, it's not that the problems won't come. It's that you have an answer who will get you through every storm. If God is in your boat, you cannot lose. If the Lord is not in your boat, you cannot win. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew. See, we got two sets of people today. You're either saved or you're lost. You're a believer or an unbeliever. You're going to heaven or you're going straight to hell. You have two options. You can build your life on the rock or you can build your life on the sand. Not far from here is Rehoboth Beach. We have Bethany Beach. We have Ocean City in Maryland. And there's nothing like spending the summer at the sea. And as of right now, that no longer is a reality. Never take for granted because what was here today could very well be gone tomorrow. But I have good news today. When you look at the sand in Ocean City, there's a man for 40 years who's dedicated his life of bringing the Bible to life on the boardwalk. This guy can do more with his hands than most of us could paint with the brush. I love that verse, whatever your hand finds to do, do it for God's glory. If you're a mechanic, change carburetors for a Christ. If you're a dentist, do root canals for the Redeemer. If you work at Walmart, give hugs for heaven. The world gets impressed with titles, but Jesus gets impressed with your testimony. And some of us preach, some of us teach, but this Sunday we all can reach. Each of us can reach. And the message today is there's this gentleman in Ocean City, and I've actually been at the boardwalk, and you've been there too. I've actually seen college-age drunks with cigarettes, with their hat on backwards. You could smell marijuana two streets away. But when they come up to that scene where that man would make a masterpiece with the sand, I've seen him do the crucifixion of Christ. I've seen him do the ascension. I've seen him do the Last Supper. The guy has an incredible God-given gift. And I've actually seen people spew four-letter obscenities, but it comes to a holy hush when they see what the man did with his hands talking about the sand. And we thank God for that. I've seen more people get saved on a Saturday night at the boardwalk than some churches on Sunday. How God could just bring the secular to the spiritual to point them to the Savior. But the interesting thing about that sand, and although it's a masterpiece, when the wind, the waves, and the weather change, the masterpiece tonight becomes a mess in the near future. And the good news is that portraying Christ and sharing the gospel will last for eternity. But too many of us have built sandcastles in the sand that look priceless today became trash and a future tomorrow. I try to go to two places every year. And if I go more often, it would do me better. I speak to college graduates and high school graduates all over the country. And I said, one of the secrets to my success, if there's anything, it's been serving Jesus. But let me give you two things in a secular world would work for me that will work for you. I want to encourage you like never before, carve out time to go to the junkyard at least once a year and go to the cemetery at least once a year. And you say, Frank, why in the world would you go to a junkyard? Number one, it reminds me and humbles me, may we go after the eternal, not the temporal. The car that we covet and crave for today, when you go to the junkyard, it's a mess. There's a four-foot snake coiled in the back seat. The windows are smashed up. 
The upholstery is ripped. And what was so valuable in the past is not worth a dime in the present. Chase the eternal, not the ephemeral. E-P-H-E-R-M-A-L. Then I go to the cemetery and I look around. They was born this day, died on this day. There's a dash between every one of them. This person was born in 1828. This one was born in 1912. This person born Christmas Day, 1978. I've actually seen someone born and die on the same day. And the interesting thing is it reminds me that tomorrow is not guaranteed. The Bible talks about not wasting time. We need to redeem the time. So you can build your life on the rock, have a real relationship with the Redeemer, or you can build your life on self, society, and the sand. With the rock, you cannot lose, but with the sand, you cannot win. The Bible says we need to build our life on the rock. When the bottom fell out, when the pink slip came out, when there's more days than dollars, when the person you said, I do, at the altar, one day told you later, I don't, and left for someone else, when the bottom falls out, when the sand falls through your hand, when you have nothing else to hold on to, you need to stand on the rock. We need to, point number one, by standing on the rock is a foundation. We have a firm foundation because of our faith and Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Jesus said, the storms of life will come. He actually also said to the atheist, the agnostic, the non-believer, he said the storms of life will come. I love a lot of things about the Lord, but one of the things I love about the Lord is that the Lord never lied. He didn't try to sugarcoat it. He didn't try to say there was an alternative way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through Christ alone. He didn't say, come to me, and it will never have problems. He didn't say, come to me, and you'll always get promoted. He didn't say, come to me, and you'll never have an issue. Jesus said, sometimes you come after me, it may get tougher than easier. You may have friends and family disown you. I know people today who were Muslim gave their life to Christ. And to this day, my friend in Michigan has not talked to her parents in 12 years. Why? Because she came to Christ. We're still praying that her mom and dad get saved. But it's better to be accepted by the Lord than accepted by the world. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. This is for the uh, the born-again Christian. Verse 25, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not for it's founded upon a rock. This is for the atheist, the non-Christian, the person who's building their life on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Regardless of your translation, read verse 25, verse 27, they're identical. Even the commas are the same. There's not a missing word. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house. That's for the saved. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house. That's for the lost person. The bad news is the storm is already here. But the good news is if God be for you, who can get be against you? So we have point number one, stand on the rock because that's the foundation. I remember a story years ago of... Uh, my closest friend at the time in 1995, his name is Craig. Craig had a unique past, but thank God the past doesn't always have to be in the present. We need to leave it in the rearview mirror of our life. 
And if you have a friend today in Delaware who's constantly bringing up your past, love them and forgive them, but they may need to become an acquaintance in the near future. Satan reminds you of the past. Jesus gives you hope and joy for the journey. Craig used to do drugs on a regular basis. I was with him the night he got saved. He got saved and called to preach all at the same time. On fire, went from getting high on crack to now high on Christ. He gave up acid and got totally embroiled by the Almighty. The man used to sell PCP, but now he's living for the Prince of Peace, and there's no high like the Most High God. And Craig is now a youth pastor at a church in Prince George's County, Maryland. People would come from miles around to hear him preach. And the interesting thing is uh, he just had a hard time forgiving himself from the drugs. I said, Craig, the past is the past. He said, Frank, do you really believe that? I said, yes, the past is the past. I'll never forget we were at King's Dominion in Virginia at an amusement park one time. And there's two grown men, him and myself, were standing in line on the Anaconda. It's a roller coaster. It goes under the water. It has about six corkscrews. And I did a double take And my best buddy is crying on a summer afternoon in King's Dominion. And my heart dropped. But to be quite honest, I felt a little awkward. I said, Craig, what's wrong? He was weeping. He said, Frank, I still can't forgive myself from the past. I said, Craig, the good news is the past is the past. And the interesting thing is, is if God can forgive you, you need to forgive yourself. And he smiled. He said, really? I said, really? He's a youth pastor, and he didn't completely grasp God's grace. And maybe you're watching today, and maybe you haven't completely been able to get free from the past. I have good news. We are in tough times, but God's grace is greater than the past. He's greater than the uncertain present, and he's greater than an unknown future. If God is in your boat, you can smile in the storm. I was to become my senior year in North Carolina. I live in Maryland. Craig is from Maryland. And he is in Tennessee. What we did not know was Craig was pushing the envelope behind the scenes. He had gotten victory from the past. And just like Satan, he brought a gorgeous girl into his life. She was gorgeous. She was a girl. But she was not godly. And he thought, in the ministry, I can handle this. The crazy thing is they pushed the envelope. He preached with power by day, but he was pushing the envelope unbeknownst to all of us at night. And what happened was temptation came in. He slipped, and he did what he never thought he would do before marriage. He was intimate inappropriately with his girlfriend. But when you're in the ministry, unfortunately, the stakes are a little bit higher. The crazy thing is, guilt came all through his body, and he begged God for forgiveness and begged her for forgiveness. And she had said more than once, Craig, it's okay, we're in love. The interesting thing is, she even said so far, and who will know? And he said, it is completely wrong what you and I have done. Even if no one knows, God knows. And she said, Craig, we can be intimate on a regular basis. That should have been another red flag. And the interesting thing is they broke up. They 
got with the Lord, and she called him a hundred times a day. You got to come back. You got to come back. Well, about the four-month mark, he is at this Bible conference in Tennessee. I'm starting my first week, my senior year in North Carolina, and she calls him while she's at the youth rally. He took the phone, and she said, Craig, you got to come back. And he said, honey, I really do love you, but it's been lately more lust than love. And she said, well, you got to come back. you got to come back. He said, I have dishonored God. I have dishonored you. And I am a youth pastor, and I can't be living a double life. And he said, I love you, but I need some more time. And she said, you need to come back. And he noticed the tone in her voice, and he said, I respect that, but what do you mean i got to come back? And she screamed, Craig, hello, I'm pregnant. She and him had been together one time. And Bible college didn't teach you this. And he was told if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Craig called his boss, the senior pastor of a church in Maryland, while he's in Tennessee and I'm in North Carolina. Supposed to be the greatest year of my life as a senior in college. And he said, Pastor, to his boss, I've made a huge mistake. With tears running down his face on the other end of the call, he said, please forgive me, and I need help. He said, I got past the drugs, but I slipped up with my girlfriend. He said, Craig, what did you do? And he said, barely stammering through his tears, I have inappropriately had a relationship. I assure you we were only together once. My girlfriend says we're pregnant. Pastor, what do I do now? The first words out of the pastor from Marilyn's mouth was two words, you're fired. The second ones, twenty four years later, I haven't been able to get out of my head. Craig God is done. With you. Your ministry is over. I get a call from my mother in the morning. North Carolina, when the phone rings before 7 a.m., I've never once got good news. And my mom was crying in the phone, and she said, Frankie, there's been an accident. Come home as quick as you can. My mom's asking me to pull out my first week of my senior year at a Bible college in North Carolina. I drove 435 miles with my world upside down. And unbeknownst to us all, Craig, we used to ride around in his mom's family station wagon. It was green. It looked like the Christmas vacation with the fake wood grain paneling on the side. It was called the family truckster. And Craig and I would ride in the car. And we would drive around for hours, listen to gospel music. And it wasn't uncharacteristic of Craig. Late at night by his house, there was a middle school, and he would go out. And a lot of times, it would be just him and the word of God. He was high on drugs, but at the time, he's now high with God. And the crazy thing is he comes back, and all he can hear is not only are you fired, he can only hear God is done with me. 
He believed that God above could forgive him, but apparently his pastor in his local church couldn't. And at 3.33 a.m., a Prince George's County police officer from Maryland was doing a routine check, and he came around the parking lot of the middle school and saw the family truckster, the station wagon that Craig and I had been in more than once. And the car was in front of the middle school with the high beams on, and with the cop with the 9mm on one side and a metal flashlight on his other hip, he approached the car. The car was running. The high beams were on, but peculiar, the front door of the station wagon was wide open. He came in, and there's nobody in the driver's seat. There's nobody in the pastor's seat. And at 3.35 a.m., the police officer saw burning embers that looked like a fire from a bonfire, and he walks about 20 feet where the high beams were. And as he got closer, he sees a Bible to the right. He sees a sawed-off shotgun to the left. And he sees God's word and my best friend next to the burning embers of what was the fire. And all Craig could think is, is God is done with me. And on a Sunday morning, without being too graphic, my best friend sticks a shotgun in his mouth, pulled the trigger... And I'm now staring at a closed casket of one of my best buddies in the whole wide world. The reason that most funeral homes only seat 150, because the older we get, the less friends that are still around. But when you're 18 years old, if someone was to die, a thousand-seat arena is usually not big enough. It was wall-to-wall packed. It took two hours to get in. My mom and I are sitting in the third row. And as long as I live, I'll never forget the girl who was gorgeous, but who was not godly, came in wearing a miniskirt. And to be honest, I thought it was the most tackiest thing I'd ever seen at a funeral service. The one who said, who will know we're in love after all? See, the problem with sin, it will fascinate you before it assassinates you. You can pick your sin, but you can't pick the consequences. And you give Satan an inch, she becomes the ruler. And I'll never forget, she had curves, but she didn't walk the straight and narrow. And she walked all the way up to a closed casket. And I'll never forget, she threw herself on top of the casket. It began to shake. And I remember looking at my mom, my God, he's going to roll out right here. And then she said in a packed audience, and they were watching by satellite, she said, my God, my God, I lied. I wasn't pregnant. I was just trying to get him back. Three wrestlers from the state high school team went berserk. And there was almost another funeral that day. But an 85-year-old lady came up and spoke. And I'll never forget, she said a poem. It brought peace in the midst of chaos. She said, I dreamed many a dreams that never came true, only to see them vanish at dawn. But enough of my dreams have come true. To make me keep dreaming on. I've sown many seeds that fell by the wayside only for the birds to feed upon. But I've held enough golden sheaves in my hand to make me keep sowing on. I've trusted many friends that had failed me and left me to weep all alone. But I've held enough golden sheaves in my hand to make me keep trusting on. I thank God for my mountains. I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms God brought me through. For if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. 
And I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. And guys, in the storm, whether it's corona or cancer, you can take Christ to the bank. Point number one, Matthew chapter 7 said, stand on the rock because that's the foundation. The first point in these tough times, we need to stand on God's word. Point number two, we need to stare at God's word. Um, verse Luke chapter 2, verse 41, maybe you remember Home Alone with Macaulay Culkin. These are the first words of Jesus in all the Bible. Now his parents, Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, wasn't even a teenager, the Bible says, don't despise thy youth. And when he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. That was not only a holiday, it was a holy day. And when they had been there a while, they returned and Jesus was left behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they assumed that he had been in the crowd, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their family and friends. And when they found him not, they went back to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both asking them and hearing them and asking questions. And all that heard him was astonished at his understanding and answers. Ironically, because even at 12, he was the answer. And when they saw him, meaning Jesus, his parents were amazed. And his mother said to him, why have you dealt with us like this? Did you not know that your father and I sought for you crying? The first words of all of Jesus in the Bible. He's not even a teen, but he's already the triune God. He is a kid, but he's already the king of all kings. The first words of Jesus, Luke chapter 2, verse 49. How is it that you sought for me? Did you not know I had to be about my father's business? Jesus, as a teen, was three things. He was a man with a mission, he was a man with a message, and he's the man who is the Messiah. His mission, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. His message, he didn't say, I am a way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through him. And Acts 4.12, the Messiah, under heaven there's no other name given among men, whereby we must be saved. So back then, Mother Mary and Joseph went to a mountaintop experience. They had a revival. And if any time America needed a revival, it's now. America needs revival. Antarctica needs revival. Australia needs revival. We need it from Los Angeles to London to Lagos. The whole world needs Jesus. And now that our idols have fallen, now's the time to not only get in the word, now's the time to share Jesus with the world. And Luke chapter 2 verse 41 they weren't going to hear T.D. Jakes. They were going to hear Jesus. They weren't going to hear Graham. They were going to hear God. They weren't going to hear Leonard Ravenhill. They were going to hear the Redeemer himself. In ministry in America, we've been so guilty making celebrities out of pastors that we've turned our back on the coming Christ. I know more people that want to fight over John Calvin or Piper, and thank God for these guys. But I'm telling you, we worship dead prophets and some pastors who are just human. And we've turned our back on the deity of God, the triune God, and the sovereignty of the Savior. Shame on us. And the interesting thing, they were going to get a word from God. God wired us for fellowship. It drives me nuts when people said, well, you know, we're having more fun online. I say this in love. Thank God for Mark Zuckerberg to extent I'm praying in love that he'll get saved. But if you think Twitter and YouTube and Facebook is not going to pull the plug one day on Christians, you're Rip Van Winkle and you're already asleep. Number two, 
The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as some do, especially in the last days. God wired us for intimacy. Satan wired us for isolation. Jesus is nothing but faith. Satan is nothing but fear. Jesus embodies heaven. The devil is nothing but death and hell. And we, iron sharpens iron. We went from iron sharpens iron to cutting each other behind each other's back. Do you know the difference between friendly fire and enemy fire? I had a friend we buried at Arlington National Cemetery, a Marine that got struck by an IED, blew off both of his legs. He is the godfather to my nephew. I've known him since high school. Colonel Oliver Norris spoke at his funeral. I'm there at Arlington National Cemetery. What an honor to be buried at Arlington. The crazy thing is the difference between friendly fire and enemy fire is nothing. Yes, it's one thing to say you were dying for freedom, fighting ISIS, going against the Taliban. No greater love than this that a man lay down a life for his friends, jump on a grenade and blow out your kidneys. But friendly fire is Mike from Michigan mishandles the M16, shoots them in the back. It's not as noble to put the folded flag like a football and on bended knee on behalf of a grateful nation and the President of the United States. It's not as honorable when you die because of friendly fire. And Luke chapter 2 verse 41, they had a mountaintop experience with God. They were going crazy. They had been in his presence. They were hugging each other. Right now in Delaware, I believe the person who was an enemy in your past, you would love to shake their hand today. Oh, but we got to be six feet apart. Isolation is from the enemy. Used to say, give me liberty, give me death. Now you get a $2,000 stimulus bill and we'll sit on the couch and keep it quiet. I got good news and bad news. The bad news is it's late in the game. The good news is Jesus is in the storm, but he's your only hope. Someone once said the gospel is only good news if it arrives on time. With Domino's Pizza 30 minutes late, you get a free pizza. If you die without Jesus, you're up the creek. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 48, Mother Mary and Joseph had been at a mountaintop experience. They had gotten a word from God. And they went down the mountain to go home. When the revivals were prevalent back in the day, when you've been in the presence of God, Disney World had nothing on the Lord. And a lot of times we wanted to stay on the mountain. But one of the problems with the mountain is the view is second to none, but there's very little growth on the mountain. There is more in the valley than the victory that we can learn from. And plus, the lost world is in the valley. You watching on late today by Delaware, I want to encourage you. Who's one person you can reach out today and say, God loves you? Mother Mary and Joseph had left. They were going back from that mountaintop experience. And all of a sudden, Mary looked at Joseph and said, baby, where's Jesus? Do you remember the first movie with Home Alone with Macaulay Culkin? They're in Chicago. The electricity was unplugged. The alarm clock does not go off. And all of a sudden, it's pandemonium in the Windy City. They're jumping in two vans to go to O'Hare Airport. They're going through security. They're getting on a commercial. And we were fortunate once a year as a family vacation to go to Ocean City. Maybe you were fortunate to go down the road to Rehoboth. These guys are flying to Europe. It's at a whole nother level. The parents are in first class. The kids are in coach class. 
And most people think, I got no class. Can I get an amen? They're flying overseas, and all of a sudden, Kevin's mother looks nervous. She looks a little scared. She looks perplexed. And all of a sudden, she goes, I think I'm forgetting something. And the husband, trying to be a good husband, said, baby, what is it? And she goes, well, I think I forgot something. And she goes, that's it. I forgot to unplug the coffee pot. And he said, baby, it's all good. I've unplugged it. It ain't going to burn down. She goes, did we forget to give the key to the Thompsons? And he laughed, and he says, you forgot. You had a lot on your mind, but I gave it to them. We're all good. She goes, that's it. We left the garage door wide open. They're going to steal the other car. He said, baby, it's all good. I shut it. And all of a sudden, 33,000 feet, she goes, Kevin, you remember that? They're flying halfway overseas. All of a sudden, you think Hollywood wrote that. No, the Bible wrote that 2,000 years before. Mother Mary and Joseph had just left the revival. They left the mountaintop experience. They're a day and a half's journey. That's 24 plus 12, 36 hours without Jesus. I don't know about you, but I can't live a minute today without Jesus. If we're not in the bottom of the ninth, we are in the top of the ninth in baseball terms. And all of a sudden, Mary looked at Joseph and said, baby, where's Jesus? And he goes, I thought he was with you. I say this in love. Mary was the first person in all the world to take the Lord's name in vain. Jesus, are you with me? They go on a day and a half one way, day and a half back, three days, 72 hours without Jesus. Where did they lose him? Did they lose him at Hooters? No. Did they lose him at Macy's? No. They lost him in church. You know, Billy Graham said he believed over half of the people sitting in the pew on a typical Sunday did not have a personal relationship with God. I preach about 200 dates a year when we were rolling, and some folks could have better attendance than me and still miss heaven. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I'm saying they lost sight of the one who saved them. How in the world did Mary misplace the master? Are you ready for this? She took her eyes off Jesus. And this COVID-19 and the corona crisis, you can stare at crisis or you can stare at Christ, but you can't stare at both simultaneously. I've learned what you give your attention to, either the faith will go up or the fear will go up. But when you keep your eyes on the prize, when you're locked and loaded on the Lord, Faith will go up and fear will go out the window. But you can't worship adversity, anxiety, and the Almighty at the same time. You want a AAA discount? Throw out anxiety and adversity and just cling to the Almighty. The Bible says perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I went to lunch one time in Houston, Texas with my dear friend Johnny Pope. He's a preacher from the Lone Star Tate. State, we were at Cracker Barrel one time when you were allowed to actually eat in a packed restaurant. I said, Pastor Johnny, give me one of your greatest illustrations. He said, Frank, this is a true story. He goes, there's a deacon in my church. He's worth multiplied millions. I remember thinking, does he feel led to give a gift to Frank Shelton? Can I get an amen? He said, Frank, he goes, I got a deacon in my church. His granddaddy made the patent on drill bits in Houston, Texas. They would dig deep into the heart of Houston soil. The bad news is they're $100,000 a piece for a drill bit. The good news is they're worth their weight in gold when they strike. You say, well, I don't even have the upfront money to make the money. And he said, Frank, when he died, he inherited more money that him, his family, and his great-great-grandkids could never blow before the Lord came back. 
He said he bought a 12,000 square foot colonial mansion. It had the Corinthian columns, the gone with the way and staircase. It had the electric gates, the oval driveway, the marble floor, and the fountain in the front yard. He said he was getting so many death threats that instead of buying an infrared alarm system or retired U.S. Secret Service to protect the estate and the family, he was buying Rottweiler dogs from Germany. And they were not your normal dogs. He bought one German Shepherd and one Rottweiler. And he said, Frank, in 1989, which was 31 years ago, he said the dogs were 15000 apiece. He bought two. He had $30,000 worth of two pets 31 years ago. He said that the death threats were so high, the Houston Chronicle, a journalist, an investigative reporter, said, I think it's foolish you would blow thirty grand on two pets. Personally, I always thought it was foolish for people how to spend your money. And he goes, I'd like to come over, stare at your house, and just see where you wasted your money. He said, well, my house is yours. He said, what was so neat about our deacon, if he wasn't at church, he was in Levi jeans and flip-flops. You'd have no idea he had money, but he said, quote, Frank, his true wealth was in the Lord. He said it was mandatory that the owner beat the dog to the door. He said, because God has mercy, but the Rottweilers didn't have to. He said when he heard the doorbell ring, he said the Rottweiler and the German Shepherd did not bark. They flew like a Learjet straight across the foyer of the mansion. And he said if someone ever got in the house without the family members screaming the password, which was friend, the dog was trained to jump at the juggler vein of a human being's neck. And he said when he said friend, the dog would relax, and the dog would actually tiptoe on the linoleum and go back so the two could small talk. He said when he would open up the door, he said the another thing he noticed is that the dog had not ate in three days. And you got the German Shepherd and the Rottweiler, and he went into a stainless sub-zero refrigerator, and 1989 had a combination code. You want your spouse to lose weight, you got to buy one of these $10,000 freezers and change the code. We'd all lose weight if you can't get in it. The first thing he slid were two 12-ounce T-bone steaks underneath the nose of the Rottweiler and the German Shepherd. They hadn't eaten in, in three days, 72 hours. The owner looked at the reporter and said, can you come outside with me? And they talked, and the reporter was asking a bunch of questions. After about 20 minutes, the owner looked at the reporter and said, what do you think will happen when we go back in? He goes, well, man, if you're telling me those dogs hadn't eaten in three days and you got two 12-ounce steaks, I would bet a week's wages that those steaks are completely gone. The owner smiled. He goes, we don't tempt them, but on occasion, we test them. And he goes, let's go back and see. And when they came back, both the dogs were side by side. Their paws were perched. Their eyes were perfectly parallel in the back of the mansion. And to the reporter's surprise, both stakes were untouched. Not a mark on the stake. But bless their hearts, the dogs were going into convulsions. They could smell it. But they wouldn't stare at it. We sang at a Sunday school when I was a kid. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. And the interesting thing is without wasting a moment, the owner snapped his fingers with a smile. The dogs looked up. And then he pointed to the stake as if to say, you've been patient. And then within 3.4 seconds, both stakes were devoured. The reporter was jotting down a whole bunch of notes, and he goes, man, how did you do that? And he said, yes, the dogs are expensive. Yes, they're born and bred in Germany. 
And yes, I'm not bragging, but they're the best that money can buy. And yes, they're 15000 apiece. He said, quote, the reason for my dog's success is ever since they were little, they've always been trained to keep their eyes on the master. And 2,000 years ago, Mary misplaced the master. Joseph temporarily lost Jesus. And you say, Frank, that ain't going to happen to me. In this crisis, some of us have taken our eyes off Christ. And I'm telling you, when you lock your eyes on Emmanuel, when you focus on the Father, when your gaze gets on God and your sights set on the Savior, you're going to find success. Because when you look to the world, you'll get depressed. If you hang out with Ouija boards, you get oppressed. But when you're in the Word of God, you're going to live and die impressed. We need to stand on the rocks, the foundation, stare at the rock, because that's the focal point. And the last point in the storm is we need to share the rock, because that's the follow-through. When I played basketball, you take an infrared gun and you point that red beam with the target. Where the beam is is where the bullet's going. But in basketball, a follow-through is you would shoot the wrist snaps and the fingers point to the rim. That's the plan. The follow-through is fingers going to the rim, and that's where the swish will transpire. In basketball, the follow-through is pointing to the rim. In basketball, but in Christianity, we need to be pointing people to him. God doesn't just call us in dark days to keep the faith. He's asking, are we going to share the faith? I'm going to land the plane with this. Some of you know my story. I wanted to do three things with my life. I was going to go into politics. I was going to protect the president or preach the gospel. I did two years with the U.S. Capitol Police. My dad protected eight U.S. presidents. I did 18 years on Capitol Hill in a congressional capacity as an aide to politicians. But my family are five-generation D.C. cops. And my great-great-great-grandfather was on duty for its theater 1865, the night Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. They say that the night that Lincoln left Ford's Theater, I've said it before, but I'll repeat, Abraham Lincoln hired an African-American to be the butler on staff at the executive mansion. And every time he walked by his aide, the president would look at him and say, see you later. They say the night of Ford's Theater when he left for the last time, they said he tipped his stovetop hat and with a wink, he whispered goodbye and kept on going. I really believe the greats know when their time is up. Jesus was no different. And if you look at the times, I wouldn't risk living another day if your hope isn't in him because time is running out. I have bad news and good news. The bad news is hell is real. There is a devil's hell filled with flames and a fire that never quenches. But the good news is Jesus the Christ lived the perfect life. He didn't die for his sins. He died for our sins. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In four minutes,
when Abraham Lincoln died, my ancestor was a pallbearer at Lincoln's funeral, and he carried the king of a nation. In 1978, my dad graduated from FBI in Quantico, Virginia, and he was a roommate for 12 years with Bob Cantwell from Denver, Colorado. Both graduated together from the FBI. For the last seven years, from 70 to 77, he was Elvis Presley's bodyguard. The reason he's now going for a job at the FBI in 78, because when Elvis died in August 77, he now was unemployed. So he went from protecting Presley to now being with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Vernon Presley asked my dad's roommate to be a pallbearer at Elvis Presley's funeral. The man who was known by billions by his first name, our family friend, was one of six men to carry the casket of Elvis Presley. When my ancestor carried the king of a nation, he carried basically the closest to the king of a nation America will ever have because the presidency is an institution, not an individual. It was said that when Washington could have perhaps been king, he said there'll be no king but King Jesus. But when he carried Lincoln from Good Friday Ford's Theater across the street in the rain to the cobblestone street to the Peterson house where he died the next morning, when he carried Lincoln, he carried the king of a nation. When my dad's friend carried Elvis, he carried the king of rock and roll. Eight years ago in the Staples Center in Los Angeles, the Jackson 4 remaining with sequined gloves carried a 24-karat gold casket. And at that moment, they didn't carry the king of a nation. They didn't carry the king of rock and roll. Disc jockeys still tell me today they carried the king of pop. The reason I love Joseph Arimathea, he's my favorite person in all the Bible except for Jesus. But some of us have gotten more excited over Christians than Christ himself. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. But when Joseph Arimathea went up to Pontius Pilate and begged for the body, the borrowed tomb of Jesus was Joseph Arimathea. And when he carried him from Golgotha, and I've been there, to the garden tomb, it's the length of an NFL football field, 300 feet, 100 yards. And at that moment, Joseph Arimathea and a band of brothers, we don't even know their name, became makeshift pallbearers. And at that moment, they didn't carry the king of a nation. They didn't carry the king of rock and roll. They didn't carry the king of pop. The Bible tells us, that they carried the king of all kings. The year was 1863. There was a little boy playing hopscotch in front of the most powerful address in the world. It was 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. A 60, 70-year-old man tried for two days to get through the gates, but he couldn't get in. The little boy's playing hopscotch, and his game ceased when he saw the cries of a senior citizen, and he runs up to the senior and said, Mr. Why do you cry? The old man rolled his eyes. He goes, man, you can't do nothing for me. You're just a little kid. Just go back to your game. He goes, no, sir, my heart hurts. I can't have fun because I say... I see you crying because it breaks my heart. And the guy says, you can do nothing for me. You're just a little kid. Go back and play your game. And he said, mister, I will not play until you tell me your story. He said, okay, no one else will listen. For the last 48 hours, I've tried to get to the gates. He said, so why do you need to get through the gates? He goes, I need to speak to the president for the pardon, but you can't do nothing for me. You're just a kid. And the little boy said, well, try me. And the old man rolled his eyes. He goes, okay, I'll tell you why. He goes, I need to speak to President Abraham Lincoln for a pardon. The little boy said, that's all you need? And the old man rolled his eyes. He goes, what do you mean that's all I need? I can't get in this place on my own. He said, no, tell me, why do you need to speak to the president? And disgusted, the man threw up his hands and he said, look, my son has been arrested for treason on the midst of the ongoing civil war. I need to speak to President Lincoln for a pardon and hoping that he'll let my boy go free. I raised him better than that. He would never leave his post, but I need to speak to Lincoln for a pardon. And the little boy said, that's all you need? 
And the old man said, that's all I need, but how can you help me? You're just a little kid. And the boy said two words that echo throughout history, even to 2020 in the first state. He smiled and he said, follow me. The moment that they saw the kid, the gates opened wide. Security was a lot less different back that day. They walked across the North Lawn into the executive mansion. The West Wing was not built till 1934. And he's inside the most powerful address in the world. And within a matter of minutes, the most powerful person on the planet is coming down the spiral staircase. He's six foot four. He's wearing a stovetop hat. And he's wearing a beard. And he's all in black. And I submit to you, it was Lincoln, not Johnny Cash, who was the first man in black. And the little kid introduces President Lincoln to his new friend, the senior citizen, who was stuck outside the gates for two days with no help. And they said Lincoln was moved with compassion and gave the man a pardon. How in the world did the old man get in? In 1863, the little kid playing hopscotch was none other than Tad Lincoln, Abraham's son. And the Bible says no man gets to the father unless you come in with the son. Muhammad won't do it. Buddha won't do it. Confucius can't do it. Organized religion can't do it. It is Christ alone. I'm just saying this respectfully. Recently, the Pope at the Vatican said Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Another statement he said, quote, is that Jesus failed at the cross. I'm not trying to pick a fight, but today I'm praying for the Pope. Jesus did not fail at the cross. He succeeded at the cross. He's our victory at the cross, and he rose again at the cross. And there is no alternative way. It's not Muhammad. It's in the master. It's not Confucius. It's in Christ. It's not in Buddha, but the Bible himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Today in Delaware or wherever you're watching by way online, you can be stuck in fear or you can come to God by faith. You can be shackled in sin, or today you can find liberty with the Son. You can continue to go to hell, or by God's great grace, you can get your ticket stamped for heaven. Not because you're so good, but because the Jesus I know alone is God. If you would like peace in the midst of the storm, I want to invite you right now to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. I just want you to whisper a simple prayer. Coming to Jesus is as easy as the ABC. Pastor Robert and I, we do not preach religion. Religion is boring, but a real relationship with Jesus is the greatest ride in the amusement park. Coming to Jesus is as easy as the ABCs. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe on your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. But here's the catch. The demons believe and tremble with fear. The catch is C, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I asked a Muslim one time in downtown Dallas, do you believe in heaven? He said, indeed I do. I believe in paradise. I said, what are your odds of going to heaven? I was hoping to hear him say something. He said, I have a 50-50 chance of going to heaven. Well, bless his heart, that was 50 more than I knew. I said, so how did you come up with 50? He said, if I do enough for Allah, and when I die, if he's in a good mood, quote, I have a 50-50 chance to get to heaven. I said, how do you like those odds? I'll never forget it. He said, not very good. I said, what about if I could tell you right now in a taxi in Texas, 
that you could have a 100% chance that you'd go to paradise? Would you be interested? Expecting resistance from a professing Muslim. He said, indeed I would. Here's a word for someone watching today on this Sunday sermon. Sometimes the people who look like Jesus the least may be open to him the most. I said, would you like to trust Christ right now? He said, I would. I said, but you need to forsake the religion of Muhammad and being a Muslim. It's not Muhammad plus Jesus. It's all Jesus. Expecting some pushback, he said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'll never forget, he grabbed my hand. I'm in the back seat. He's in the front seat. And he said, lead me to this Jesus. I led him in a simple prayer, and when I was done, Tears were rolling down the taxi cab driver's face. And I know it was authentic because he tried to subtract 25% of my bill. When Zacchaeus was getting saved, he said, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, I'll repay fourfold. That was restitution, but that was also revival. If you would like to trust Christ, I don't know how he does it, but he took my dark, dirty sins and mixed them with his rich royal blood that was red and somehow it turns like new fallen snow just whisper this simple prayer say lord jesus i'm a sinner you're the savior i've heard that jesus died for the world i realize today if it was just me jesus would have died for me come into my heart forgive me of my sins i want to repent from my sin. I realize my sin separates me from a holy God. And I could not save myself, not through my works, but I'm trusting Jesus by faith and through his great grace. They put you in a borrowed tomb, and had you stayed dead, you would be a martyr who was murdered. But what separates Christianity from every other religion? If you went to the tomb where they laid the remains of Muhammad, Muhammad is dead. If you went to the tomb where they laid the remains of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith is dead. If you went to the tomb where they laid the remains of Confucius or Buddha, they're both dead. But if you go to the tomb in Jerusalem, you could have a shovel and dig for the rest of your life, and you won't find him. It's the only tourist attraction in the world where people come from miles around to look at absolutely nothing. When you lose... The empty tomb, there's a scripture verse, Luke 24, verse 5 and 6. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. And my friends, we don't serve a dead God. We serve the living Lord. And because he lives, you can too. Oh, Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. I want you to be my best friend. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm asking to do it your way. Save my soul. Put my name in the book of life. And I want to go to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, call the front office, leave a voicemail on the church office, maybe send a private email, say, thank you, I just gave my life to Christ. I want to encourage you this week to contact by text Pastor Robert, the praise team, uh, the support staff, and they have been ministering around the clock this week. God wants to use you to minister to them. Matter of fact, we're all in the ministry. Guys, I want to tell you I love you. But God loves you more. And remember, you can't lose when you live for the Lord. Stand on the rock, stare at the rock, and share the rock. Because the world is prime 
for revival. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, oh Lord, the ground is sinking sand. Again, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we've had to worship you this morning and to hear your word taught. Lord, we just pray that you would help us apply this teaching to our lives. May we be doers of your word and not just hearers only. Help us to walk out into this week a changed person, changing this world for you, firmly standing on the rock of Christ Jesus. We love you, and we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this morning. What a great message this morning. You know, if you would like um, to respond to what you've heard this morning, uh, feel free to drop us a PM, you know, a private message on Facebook, or you can email us at the, at the um, church email. You can also call in to the office, or if you'd like uh, prayer from a staff member or an elder, please feel free to reach out to us. If there's any way that we can serve you during this time, please don't hesitate to let us know. But once again, Thank you so much for tuning in. We look forward to being with you again next week. Have a blessed week and God bless you.